You're listening to a message from Stonegate Church. For more information about Stonegate and additional audio resources, please visit Stonegate.Church. Uh, well, uh, I'm glad uh, you guys are here this morning. This is, if you couldn't tell when you were coming in, this is our uh, Foster and Adopt uh, Sunday. We try to do this uh, every year where we, we take a moment to just highlight this incredibly valuable, incredibly important, significant uh, ministry and sort of heartbeat of our church. For, for Stonegate, it's one of our uh, distinctives as a church. Uh, you know, every church, every Christian church um, ought to be majoring on the same thing. They ought to be majoring on the gospel of Jesus, the incarnation, life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus done on behalf of sinners to bring sinners into the family of God. That that is why we exist. That's why every good, solid, orthodox Christian church uh, exists, to promote Jesus to a lost and dying world and to help our hearts delight in the news of his coming and his accomplishments for us. That's what we're about. But just south of that, so that that is the major that we are majoring in, but but just south of that uh, are any number of things that are uh, byproducts of embracing that, uh, byproducts of the gospel that uh, any given church is going to care about. um, Deeply, and 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 not every church is going to be equal on this front. Uh, It's kind of like uh, human beings. Everybody in this room is a human. Uh, by virtue of the fact that we all kind of share the basic genetic code of humanity, and yet you have blue eyes and I have brown eyes. You like pickles and I think that's disgusting, right? We all have various differences that make us distinct. We have distinctions even though uh, there is one banner that unites us all. Uh, Same is true with churches. Our church is gonna be burdened for certain things that the church down the road might not be. They might have a different set of burdens and convictions based on uh, their um, the leanings of their pastoral staff based on the location of that church, any number of things. And one of those distinctions for us, we have several that if you've gone through membership, you know about, but one of those distinctions for us is this. We at Stonegate wanna value the vulnerable. We want to value the vulnerable. That if you're new to Stonegate and you're just kind of getting in our ecosystem, that's one of the things that you should be probably bumping into pretty quickly as you're running with the folks at this church. That we want to be people who value the vulnerable. I'll I'll never forget, it was... um, We've been here now for uh, my family for about 11 and a half years at this church. Uh, but a handful of years into that, we got to see this firsthand. It was one of uh, the first uh, foster and adoption Sundays I can remember. And uh, Rodney was up here, Pastor Rodney, and he had said uh, something like, uh, hey, we want to take a time to a- acknowledge those of you who are um, somewhere in the process of fostering or adoption. So if that's you, if you and your family are somewhere along that journey, maybe you're on the just the beginning paperwork side and getting certified, or maybe you've already brought a child home into your house. If that's you, I want you to stand up. And uh, that, at the time, our church was about 700, maybe 800 people. We had 33 families in a church of seven or 800 that were somewhere in the adoption or fostering process. I, I don't know how that number strikes you, but that's a really big number. Right? That, that is uncommon for a church that size to have that many folks involved. And so we're, I'm just saying, if you, if you want to be kind of in our ecosystem, if you want to be part of this church family, your heart needs to beat for the vulnerable. That's, that's one of the things that we really value here is the vulnerable. And, and that's a, a good thing because there are so many vulnerable kiddos to value. Let me just give you some data real quick to give you a kind of a, a lay of the land. 
Worldwide, uh, UNICEF has provided uh, some numbers here. So the total estimated number of uh, orphans worldwide, 147 million. 147 million. Now, now there's different ways to calculate that and break that down. So if you're just looking at um, uh, children who have no mom and dad, so they're called double orphan children, if you're just looking at that number, that's 17.6 million children around the world that we have data on that we could say are double orphan. They have, they have no one to care for them. 17.6 million children. If you bring that in kind of a little bit more locally, now we're thinking about the U.S. In the U.S. foster care system, there's, uh, there's 407,000 children in the U.S. foster care system. Of that number, uh, the folks who, uh, the, the children who are currently right now, like this year, waiting for adoption within the U.S. foster care system, that's 117,000 children. So in the U.S., children who are right now ready to be adopted, awaiting adoption, 117,000 in the U.S. You bring that a little bit more locally, think about Texas. Today in Texas, there are 6,900 children legally awaiting for adoption right now. In the state of Texas, just under 7,000 kids that need a family, that need somebody to come alongside and say, yes to you. I want you to be in my family. Uh, in DFW, so now we're in our city. There are currently 3,850 children in the DFW area that are in the foster care system that are looking for placements, some of those ready to be adopted, some of those uh, are, are ready to be uh, fostered and taken, taken in that way. Uh, well, my point is just this, the need is great. Do you hear those numbers? I mean, the, it, it doesn't even compute sometimes, but I'm just saying there are many vulnerable children in the world that need a loving family to care for them, that need someone to step in and say, I, I choose you, I love you, I want you. And so that, that's one of the reasons our, our heart beats for that as a church. My heart beats for it. I, many of you know this, but we've adopted uh, two kiddos uh, from India over the years uh, in our family, and we, we love adoption. We, we, we love being a part of this. And, and here's the thing. Uh, our church loves this. We, I love this. My family loves this. But, but Christians, in many ways, have always had kind of a special relationship with this issue with adoption, with valuing the, the, uh, the vulnerable. It was, uh, it's been the reputation of Christians uh, since the first and second centuries. We're gonna talk about that a little bit later, but it's, it's something that has driven us uh, for millennia, the, the Christian church, to care for the most in, in need. And uh, it's the same is true today. So uh, ethicsdaily.com uh, shows us that uh, Christians, uh, I thought this was fascinating, uh, Christians in the U.S. have the highest rate of adoption of any demographic in the entire U.S. So uh, if you were to take every single person who has adopted in the U United States and uh, who's not a Christian, take that number, you would have to more than double that number to express how many Christians have adopted in the United States. It's just what we do. It's just who we are. It's more than twice the number of all adults who've adopted. And I've seen this firsthand. Uh, when we went uh, to bring home our second son, Isaac, from India just last year, uh, we were there and uh, we were at the hotel waiting with, uh, it just happened that week, five other families who were in Delhi uh, waiting to bring home their son or daughter from India. So five families in that particular hotel that given week, random week, it wasn't orchestrated. And of those five families, four of those families were Christian families, all four of which their husbands were pastors. That didn't just happen. Do you see me? 
That, 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 that's not just an accident. There's something fundamental in the Christian worldview that, that drives us. Now, what is it? Is it just that the handbook says do it? Right? The book says, the book says we should care about this and we should do it. Is it just that? If the book does say that, it says it a lot. Isaiah 117, bring justice to the fatherless. Pre- plead the widow's cause. Psalm 82.3, give justice to the weak and the fatherless. Maintain the right of the afflicted and the destitute. Exodus 22.2, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. There is command after command after command in our scriptures that tell us you need to move toward the orphan, the widow, the stranger, the vulnerable. That is your job follower of God. That's your job. So is it just that the the handbook, the manual says it? I don't think so. That that can't be it, right? Because we know there's plenty of world religions out there that have plenty of uh, imperatives and commands just like that. You can go to almost any religion and there's going to be some kind of language that says, hey, you should do things for people in need, right? So that's not an, it's not like original to Christianity. We didn't come up with that. So what is it? What, what is it that would make it the, the population of, of people who have adopted in the USB double for Christians uh, uh, compared to every other people group in the entire United States. What, what would make that possible? I, I, the answer I want to give is this. I think it, the reason that we are a people who more than any other people, it seems, on the planet move toward the vulnerable is we serve a God who moves toward the vulnerable. That, that, that can be the only explanation. We, we serve a God who does this for a living, our God makes orphans into family. That's what he does. Or to say it another way, why, why, why is there a drive in us to live like this, to help people in need? Why, why, why is that in us? Because we do what our dad does. We do what our dad does. That's why Paul can look at the, the church in Ephesians chapter five, verse one, and say, hey, be imitators of God as beloved children. Do you hear the appeal in Christianity? It's not just obey these 900 rules and, and uh, you're going to be good. The appeal is look at your dad. Be imitators of your father as a beloved child. I remember w- walking with my dad. My dad's here this morning. Hey, dad. My, uh, mow the lawn when, when I was a kid and I had a little, little red mower behind him and, it, and, it, and it, you push it and it spin and there's bubbles that came out. I think actual mowers should do that. That would make mowing so much cooler. But I just follow him, right? Well, I was just, because he's awesome. He's my dad. And I'm just doing what my dad did. That's what the text says. Paul, Paul is saying, hey, Christians, you be imitators of your God as beloved children. You do what your dad does. I think that that's why it's such a fundamental reality in the Christian experience is because we watch it happening every day with our Father in heaven. It's what he does for us. Christianity isn't about following rules. It's about copying our dad copying our our father. And so this morning, I want to persuade you to get involved in foster care and adoption. That is my goal. Cards on the table. But I'm not going to do it by giving you 19 rules about how to generate that in yourself, because that's not how the Bible does it. I want to just do this. For a few minutes, I just want to put God on display in the scriptures. I want you to see how he works, how, what motivates him, what drives him, what he loves. I want, I want you to see what he's done for you, because that is the way Christians change. It's how 2 Corinthians 3 talks about it. We all, with unveiled faces, beholding as in a mirror the Lord of glory, we're, we're being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. It means you become like what you behold. 
That's Christianity. I stare at the beautiful, awe-inspiring God of the gospel, and I, by the power of the Spirit, am changed into that same image from one degree to another to another. So we're going to stare at God this morning. Does that sound like a good plan to everybody? Okay, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 1. Get your Bible out. And we're just asking the question, what does our God do that we could follow suit? And the, and the answer is this. Here's the controlling sentence this morning. It comes in three parts. God, our God, lovingly pursues the vulnerable at great cost to himself to the praise of his grace. That's what he does, and that's what we're called to do. God lovingly pursues the vulnerable at great cost to himself to the praise of his grace. That's where we're going. We're going to see it in the text. Uh, we're in Ephesians chapter 1. Uh, Ephesians 1 opens with Paul just losing his mind over this God. It's the longest sentence in the Bible. Verse 3 to verse 14 is one sentence in the Greek. Paul is just so jazzed about this God who would do such great things for his people. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He opens like that. And, and uh, in verse 4, uh, he, uh, toward the end of it, says this. We're going to pick up in verse 4, moving to verse 5. He says this. In love, he, God, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. Now, Paul is known for mouthfuls, so let's settle down for a second and just take a look at this. The, the, the main thing I want you to see right here, the main thing is this. Our God is an adoptive dad. Our God is an adoptive dad. That's, that's who he wants you to know. You cannot talk about the Christian life and not talk about adoption. You can't do it. You can't do it because it is so fundamental to what it means to be a, a Christian. It is Jesus' favorite name for God in Scripture. He calls him my father. J.I. Packer is going to say, he's a Christian author, that uh, father is the Christian name for God. It is the, it's the, it's the, the very core of what we are as Christians, is we are adopted kids and we have an adopted dad. The, he, the headline over the gospel is not... Mainly, God saves sinners. The headline of the gospel is God makes sinners into his kids. That's the gospel. He, he doesn't just redeem wicked people. He redeems wicked people and then makes them children. That's the beauty of the gospel. Do you see that? It's extraordinary. He, he predestines us for adoption to himself as sons. But that's not enough for Paul. Paul loves himself some commas. He loves some prepositional phrases. So he's gonna tell us, he's gonna color that. He, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons, but, but what was in his heart as he did it? What was in the driver's seat emotionally for God as he did it? Well, there's those two words right before verse five that give us an indicator. It says, in love, he predestined us for adoption as sons. Now, you, you only have to be in the Christian church for like 15 minutes to at least know one Greek word, and that is agape, right? We know agape, and that's the word 
here used for love, en agape, in love. It's a word that appears 259 times in your New Testament. It's a very important word to God and it's, it's, a, it, it's the type of love that doesn't need something back from you. It, it wants something for you. It's why you often hear pastors talking about it as a gift sort of love. It, it's, a, it's a love that it loves to pour out and is not demanding reciprocity in order for this thing to work. It's agape love. And it's that love that sits at the driver's seat in God's heart as he, before the foundations of the world, predestines you to adoption as sons and daughters. That's what's in his heart. That, he, that God doing that is, is God wanting something good for you? That's what the text is saying. I want something good for you. So in love, I'm gonna predestine you to adoption as sons. I wanna slow down just for a moment over this because I get a little sad at this text because too many of us wanna to go to war over this text when we see the word, that, that four-letter word that's actually like 19 letters, predestined, right? We just, ooh, predestined. It's so, it's like, it's like the bad bad boy of the Bible. I just, I, I get upset because we want to fight so much over this and we, and we, and we want to, to question God's affection for us and we want to say, well, that's so narrow of God to se- selected some and not select to others. And I, I, I just want, I, I, there's no way we're going to have time to break into predestination this morning. But what I am going to say is this, at least in the context of this verse, God wants you to connect this idea with predestination, love. He wants you to, when he, it doesn't say, hey, go to war over this term real quick, guys. I think you guys should just write some nasty Twitter posts to each other over, over predestination. He doesn't say it. He says, I want you to know that God was motivated by his love for you to before the foundation of the world, choosing you to be in his family. It was love that did it. That's a beautiful thing. For, for us to just settle. This is not something to go to war over. This, this is a truth to treasure. In love, he predestined us according to the purpose of his will. I don't like the word purpose there. I don't think it conveys what's happening in the Greek. The Greek it, uh, is two words that kind of are put together, eudokia, which, which is kind of like um, good, you, and uh, pleasure or intention. So it, it, it should maybe read something like this, according to the kind intention of his will. We're getting another motivator in the heart of God. What's in the driver's seat for him? Just his kindness. Why did God adopt you as his kid? The text is saying this because he, he wanted to. He's kind. He had good will towards you when he thought about you before the foundation of the earth. Here's what was going on in his heart. Love and kindness. Isn't that beautiful? That was what was driving God to make you into his kid. It was the good pleasure of his will. It was the kind intention of his will. He didn't consult you. He consulted his own affections. He looked in himself and said, because I have kindness within me, therefore you get to be in my family. And this has implications for us. For one thing, this means if you're in the family of God, it's because of God and his heart, not you and your awesomeness, right? That's why you're on the team, guys. He didn't, he didn't look through the corridor of time and go, you know what, 2022, that's Stacy. She is just a charm. 
great teeth, sweet person. I just, I don't know, I like her. We should adopt her. JC, HS, are we in? Let's do this thing, right? Is that what happened? That's not what happened. God did not see something beautiful and impressive in you and say, I'll take you. He didn't do it. He appealed to the kind intention of his will. And, and, and this is why Paul can talk to us like, uh, like this in 1 Corinthians 1, when, he's, when he says, for consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. It's not about you. You're not that cool. You're not that impressive. God is great and wonderful, and he poured out his mercy on you in love according to the kind intention of his will. It's all about God. It's all about him and his mercy to sinners like you and me. Isn't that beautiful? You know what that makes? It makes him look great. Amen? Makes him look great. Not us. It makes him look great. God's heart is for the helpless, for the unimpressive, for the vulnerable. And that means something for us, gang, because what we're doing this morning is we're going, we want to mimic him, right? We want to do what our dad does. And our dad does this. He cares for the vulnerable, which means we care for the vulnerable, not just when that vulnerable person meets our criteria for, say, a perfect child. Let me just expose the grossness in Jimmy's heart real quick. Uh, when we were in the adoption process, and, and this is public information, you, you guys can know this about any country if you're pursuing adoption in it, but in the country of India, the only... Um, category for like uh, adoption for a foreigner, the only option for you is for you to, in their um, uh, minds, uh, to adopt a, what they would deem a special needs child. Now there's a vast array of how you would define that uh, internationally speaking. I'm not getting into all that. All I'm saying is when we stepped into adoption, I thought we were stepping into a designer situation where we could, you know, just select the perfect, you know, like just so American selfish gross. And when I came up against this, my heart just dropped because I realized that I was being invited by the Lord in this moment to give up my designer version of adoption, children, all of that stuff. And, and just, I, what I realized is this, my heart doesn't look almost anything like Ephesians 1. God, God appeals to nothing great in us. He just loves us and comes for us. And yet here I am with all of my standards and all of my guidelines, all of my like, well, it's this, but it won't be that. And, and I just had to come to terms with the, the grossness in Jimmy Needham's heart. And there's a lot of it there. But there's none in God. And we're being called to mimic him. We're being called to, to, to respond in kind with him. Our God lovingly pursues the vulnerable with no hard lines drawn. No except for that one. Except for that one. There's just no lines. I think that's a beautiful thing. And, and now the question we have to ask is this. How did he go about doing it? So we see what his heart's like. We see what he did. And we see what was in the driver's seat that motivated him emotionally. But how did he go about securing our adoption? The text is gonna continue telling us. It says this, in love he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Oh, I love the scriptures. They're just so thick with truth. That word through is it's talking about agency, right? It, it, it's talking about the means by which our adoption was procured. 
How was it procured? How, was, how, how were we adopted? We were adopted through Jesus Christ. That was how it was made possible. He, Jesus Christ is the agent of our adoption. And how did, in what way did our agent make our adoption possible? Look down at verse seven. It tells us this. In him, Christ, we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Look, everybody knows, everybody knows that uh, foster care and adoption is a costly endeavor, right? Everybody knows. So when we, when we stepped into adoption for the first time, oh, we kind of discovered as we went, oh, this is a, about a thirty dollars to $45,000 moment for us. That happened twice with us. It's, it's astronomical. And that's not even, in some ways, the greatest cost. It's the, there's time and energy and just mountains of paperwork that my wife did. And uh, complication, yeah, it was her, it wasn't me. Uh, and complication of, of just opening your life and family up to just every and any difficulty and hardship and on and on the, the list goes. It's a, it's a costly endeavor, right? But I, and I say all that to say this, all of that, as much as it costs us, is just a drop in the bucket compared with the cost your father paid in Jesus to adopt you. It just, it doesn't even compare on the radar. It doesn't compare. The price to be paid for us to be made children of God was nothing less than the death of the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God incarnate, Jesus himself. I, I'm talking about the gospel now, and we're at church, and it's like, this is what we talk about. We sing about it, we talk about it. Please don't lose the, don't lose the wonder of this. God died for you to be his. I hope that would never not bring you to tears. God the Son died. He gave his life. There's not a... He's the most valuable being in the universe. And he gave his life. Let that always strike you as precious. And look, this is where the analogy of God's adoption of us and our adoption of people breaks down here because he didn't, uh, Jesus didn't die to pay some like lawyer fees and stuff. It wasn't like, oh, adoption's just really costly in heaven too, apparently. Just a lot of, it's not like that. He, he died as a ransom for sinners. He didn't just, he, God didn't just adopt orphans. He ransomed rebels. It's a, di- it's a different thing. It's, it's even more dramatic. He paid the fine for criminals like us. That's what Jesus did on the cross. And, uh, and though there's not a one for one here, there's a principle here that I don't want us to miss, and it's this. Adoption is always costly. It's always costly. And this means you and I, do you see you and I don't get to put limitations on how far we're willing to go in our care for the vulnerable. We're, we're to put up our whole lives because Jesus put up his whole life for us. We poured our lives because that's what we've seen done for us. It should cost us something that's normal and right and good. I remember I was talking with Brad Marvin. Some of you guys know him. We ended up planting him in Arlington at a church. 
And uh, Brad had also adopted, um, before I had, uh, an older boy. And I was talking with him as we were in the adoption process, and I was feeling the costliness of things. And uh, we were at a party, and I was talking with him, asking him just how it's been for him and how, how he was navigating some of the difficulty. And I'll never forget what he said to me. Just one sentence that has just totally shifted how I'd navigate life now. He said, Jimmy, if it doesn't feel a little bit like dying, it's probably not the gospel. And that just has so resonated with me. There's something about living in line with the implications of the gospel that will necessarily be costly to you. And that's right, and it's good. It's appropriate, it's fitting that we should bear some, some of the similar weight as our master, our Lord, has bore. So if it doesn't feel a little bit like dying, it, chances are it, you're probably doing something wrong. It should feel costly, because it is. We want to be imitators of him. And it cost him. Our father is one who lovingly pursues the vulnerable at great cost to himself. But lastly, why? To what end? Right? He, everybody does something for a reason. What is, the, what is the aim for God? Is the reason, and this would be maybe a good reason, is the reason just to have a big family? Is the reason to save sinners? Is the, is the reason, what, what, what drove God, what is his aim in adoption? And what can it teach us about our own aim? Paul gives us the answer. Let me read the sentence again. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Why do we move toward the vulnerable in love? And why do we let it cost us things? Why would we do that? What is the aim? What's the goal? Why do we risk our comfort for the same reason our dad does it? To show off his grace to a graceless world. That's why we do it. Why are you adopted as a son or daughter of God. Have you ever asked that question? Why did he do it? The answer Ephesians gives is that so that forever and ever into eternity you would praise the glory of his grace. That he would have a, a family of millions and millions who would look at him forever and say, thank you. I don't deserve a drop of this, but thank you, your grace. Why are you so kind to people like me? That's the point of your adoption. And if it's the point of your adoption, it ought to be the point of ours as well as we imitate our God that in moving toward the vulnerable, we would be living such lives and treating people with such kindness and love and generosity that they would boast as well in our great God who's gracious to them. Our aim is the same. We wanna display a gracious God to a graceless world. That's why, that's why we get involved in this. That's why we care so much about this. You know, it, 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 
breaks my heart to think about this, but in the first and second century, under Roman law, there were legal um, allowances for parents who didn't want their children to uh, functionally terminate that baby's life under Roman law without consequence. So basically, functional infanticide was permitted under Roman law through typically exposure. What would happen is uh, they would just leave the baby out at the in the marketplace, me, me and Rodney and some of the other pastors here at the church, we stood in the Agora at Ephesus, which was a, a Roman colony, and Ephesus, the Agora, is the marketplace. It's where everybody would sell their wares. It's where uh, that, the whole energy of the city would happen. 250,000 people, major, major city, uh, port city, and uh, it was very common in Ephesus in those days for uh, a woman to walk in the Agora and uh, under protection of Roman law, abandon her baby just there on the street. Uh, who knows what's gonna happen to it? Maybe it gets picked up, maybe it dies from exposure. That wasn't her problem anymore and she was protected by the government to do so. That was happening in Ephesus all the time. And then something started to change in about AD 60 or so. Uh, th this new group of people started coming around uh, they call themselves the followers of the way. Uh, some folks um, gave them the pejorative title of Christian, and they, they were seeing these babies, and they weren't letting them stay there anymore. They were picking them up, and they were bringing them to their houses, and they were absorbing them into their families, and they were adopting them as their own children. And the, and the problem of death by exposure and infanticide was, was slowly being dealt with by this group of people that just came on the scene and at great cost to themselves would bring these children into their families. And no one could hardly understand it. We got records of, of all this taking place. And you get, well, how, how is that possible? How did that happen? Why did that happen? What's going on? People couldn't make any sense of it. And the answer is, at about AD 60, a letter shows up in Ephesus. And the writer of that letter is an apostle of none other than Jesus Christ himself. And that letter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who's blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, just as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we would be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself according to the kind intention of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Why were these people moving toward these children when it wasn't their problem? Because they were doing what their dad did. They heard and learned about a God who did exactly that for them. And it started to change the culture. And it started to shock people's sensibilities. And it started to make this God, who seems so offensive and confusing to the watching secular world, look attractive and breathtaking and disruptive. And it's the call to us today to do the exact same thing. Because we've been adopted, we adopt. Because God has moved toward us, the vulnerable, we move toward the vulnerable, and we do it to make him look great. Yeah? Amen. We're gonna watch a video right now, uh, and the video is of a couple families at Stonegate. I want you to have as many opportunities as you can to see 
the, and get normalized uh, what it looks like to step into these moments of fostering and adoption. So watch these couple stories and then we'll talk a bit more. Hi, we're the Spoolsters. I'm Sean, this is Melissa. I'm John Johnson. And I'm Sierra Johnson. And when it comes to foster care and adoption, uh, I want to start off by admitting it's not something that when we got married, I wanted to be a part of. The adoption story, actually the genesis of that, actually begins with me because I'm adopted. You know, when we talk about adoption, we generally only talk about one side of it, which is the hurt. And it's very much a messy thing, but uh, there's great beauty in it as well and great joy. And so when me and Sierra met, uh, one of the things that I told her was is that I really had, um, that the Lord had really put on my heart to adopt. Uh, I had actually, I think I had said at one point to Melissa, I want to have our own kids. I don't want to have somebody else's kids. That was me as a 24 year old knucklehead. Uh, but then eventually my, my heart sort of changed. We, we have four children of our own and we began to raise them. But I kind of want Melissa to kind of tell uh, you our journey of how we got into uh, foster care. Yeah, I think we were always a little bit, at least I was always a little bit interested mm -hmm. in just the heart of being able to open your home. I mean, what better way to, to tell people about Jesus than to say, come and live in my house, walk around. The Lord was very kind and blessed us with a daughter um, biologically after our um, infertility struggle and then thereafter another another daughter biologically as well. Um, and then later we um, started desiring to grow our family again. Um, but this time, the conversation was very different. Um, we were very much like, I think the Lord is saying yes you are growing your family, but it will not look like you think, and um, it's time for you to say yes to adoption. Maybe we'll just do respite. We said, yeah, let's just do respite. We wanted to say, okay, we'll, we'll kind of dip our toe into this. We'll be a help to someone else who is already a foster care parent and who's had a child for weeks or months or whatever, and we want to be able to be, yeah, let's give them a break. Let's let them take a vacation or whatever. So we did that. Uh, I mean, as soon as we were certified, I, I think it was within, certainly that week, maybe within two days we were called to help and uh, I went and picked up this this young man ended up picking up his his brother with him actually the two of them at the same time I remember it it was Super Bowl yeah Sunday. and then we I think we had them for maybe 19 days as we really wrestled through um, the conversations of the cost and um, uh, man just really like realistically um, sitting and, and looking at the numbers and just being I mean, and quite honestly, being I'm quite fearful of that, of like, Lord, how you've you've called us to this, and we know you have, and we want to walk in obedience, but this seems very daunting um, to do. Um, yet saying like, we I have called you to this, and I will provide for that, and um, and He did. And then we got a call that one of those boys that had been in our house yep. for the 19 days, yep. uh, for some different reasons, needed to be separated from his brothers, yep. and it was either honestly, it was either juvenile detention That's or right. or because he was house. Yeah, at 14. How could we say no at this point? And so we said yes, and it turned into something really beautiful over that year and, and a half. And when you say looking back, we got as much out of that experience as oh, yeah. our foster son did. Oh, yeah. I mean, we had so many great conversations. Yeah. I remember one particular night where you and him went to the movies and you taught him how to drive your Jeep in a parking lot. I have a stick lot. shift Jeep Wrangler, yeah. And, and he came home yeah. and before he got out of the car, he paused and, and he said something like, you know, I've never really had a dad. His dad's been in prison most of his life. Now he said this to you. And Yes, and he said, but tonight was really cool. 
you know? So like yep. to have an experience with just a male role model that spent time with him and, and cared about him. With adoption, everyone talks about the hard and there absolutely is hard, but it is so worth it. Yeah. Um, I can look here today as we now have our adopted son, Jackson, yeah. um, a part of our family, and we have navigated a lot of hard through that, but it has been the most joyful part of our life as well. And, and the great thing is, is that the goal of foster care it's reunification. You know, we That's want right. to see them back. He wanted to, he missed his siblings. He missed his mom. Yep. Just to interrupt real quick, I felt like we had a great support system. I think here at Stonegate, that's the case as well. There are people that there's a support system. Uh, there's, there's staff members that want to come alongside and help. This is really a, a community-based type thing. You're not an island unto yourself. So if you're sitting out there and you're thinking, man, adoption's not for me, what is for you? How can you lean into adoption, foster care, respite care? There's so many different ways that you can um, play a part. Um, providing a meal, providing those, those babysitting services, um, just whichever way that you can get connected, please reach out to the Foster and Adopt group here at Stonegate. God bless you. Uh, let's get uh, real practical for a moment. I think this is the question that uh, needs to be on the table on some level for, for everybody who's listening to me talk right now. Uh, and it's the question that we want to platform year after year with, with our people. Um, might God be calling me and my family into some expression of foster care or adoption? I just want to start with, with that one. Uh, Briefly, it, it always uh, feels so intimidating and maybe that, that feels like that's like a totally closed conversation uh, for you. But I would just say, isn't it always just so much better to open up our hands around everything that we think we know about our life and our future to the Lord and just always come to him and just go, God, what would you have for me? I'm just going to invite you this morning to have that posture with the Lord as you're praying here in a little bit, as we're singing songs to him, as you're talking about this at lunch and, and uh praying it, it, uh, this evening with your family or whatever, I want you to keep this question open. I'm not saying you're going to have even a super clear answer today, but if there's even an inkling of like, man, I want to get at least a little bit more information. What does that look like? There's a card on your, I think it was on your seats or maybe in the seat back pocket. Uh, it's got all these QR codes on it. Uh, there's a QR code that you can scan right here that just says, interested in fostering and adopting. It doesn't you know, commit you to anything to scan that code. It just simply gets you some more information down the road, gets you connected with uh, the right people to uh, maybe get some of your questions answered and see if fostering and adopting would be right for you. Now, maybe it's not. Look, I'm, I, I get it. Not everybody is called to that. But uh, to the question asked in the video, what is for you? What, what is for you? What, what are some ways? Here's one thing that is certain. There is no option for us to be uninvolved in this space. We are all as Christians called to be involved on, on different levels in caring for the most vulnerable. So what is it for you? Maybe it's respite care, like they were talking about in the video, uh, that you would get respite certified. We, uh, you can scan a, a code here. There's a, um, interested in serving. We, we can help you um, in the steps that it would take to get you equipped to care for foster kids in giving respite moments to families who are already fostering uh, in our church. Maybe that, that's something that it's a, it's a smaller commitment, it's a shorter time span. Maybe that's something that you could uh, 
jump into. Maybe it's giving. Maybe God's given you enough wealth and resources that you're able to give large amounts of money to this cause. Here's something that we, we have loved being able to say at Stonegate um, for as many years as I've been here. We don't ever want finances to be the reason that you're a no to this. We get the numbers are scary. They're crazy scary. But, and I'll just say from personal experience, we would not have been able to do this had it not been for helpful, generous folks at Stonegate getting us down the road uh, with our adoptions. And the same can be true for you. And if that's you, if you're a person who wants to give to that, man, we would love to, to ha uh, have you uh, do that because we want to enable everybody who would want to to not have any financial stumbling block in getting them into the, say, adoption process. That could be great. Maybe you just commit to pray. Maybe you and your family say, we're gonna pray every night for th this particular family in our church who's in the process. Whatever it is, what is the involvement today? There's five booths of uh, five different ministries and organizations uh, out in the lobby uh, of great organizations that are doing helpful work among the most vulnerable in our community. Go, check, go, go walk with your family up to, up to them. Go check them out. See, see what's... Uh, uh, going on there. See if there's any uh, way that you could be meaningfully helpful in those spaces. We just want you to be involved. So that's the invitation uh, for you to get uh, involved and use this QR code to do any and all of that. You can scan each of these codes. Uh, let me uh, pray for us uh, as we close and as you contemplate these things. Father, we are uh, asking you right now to burden our heart for what burdens yours. We want to have uh, we want to be like David, a man after God's own heart. We, wanna, we want our heart to look like yours. We want to care about the things you care about. We want to value the things you value. And we know you value the vulnerable, so we want to. God, in this room, would you do something special? In our church, would you do something special? Would, would Stonegate be this unique outpost of the gospel in South Dallas and also of, of a heart that just is so broken and burdened for the kiddos without a mom and dad to care for them, that we are doing some radical things in caring for them. Would we have some crazy numbers of, of uh, just so many families being involved in this process? God, would, would it be, would this church be the easiest place you could ever be in to make steps in this direction to, to fostering and adoption? God, we want all those things to take place. And God, create that culture with us. And it starts with each individual person praying with me right now. So Lord, please burden us, convict us, lay something on our hearts, even as we're singing in these next moments, even as we're talking together with our friends or with our family afterward. Um, God, please do that. We pray this in Jesus' name.